Hello and welcome to The Shovel, a podcast brought to you by Property Leaders Brisbane, an independent and vibrant community open to professionals working in the property and construction industry. The Shovel is a natural extension of the conversations we have at our events, where we share and debate ideas and inspire positive change in our city. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Shovel. I'm Lisa Nixon, Managing Director of BBS Communications Group, and we're very proud to produce this podcast for Property Leaders Brisbane. Today, I'm talking with the co-founders of Bluebird Property Partners, Claire O'Rourke and Ria Arai Kaup. The ladies created Bluebird in 2018 and have ridden the wave, the ups and downs of the global pandemic, starting a new business, starting families and generally succeeding in a whole lot of things that they've done. Thanks for joining, ladies. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having us. Anytime. Uh, as you know, our podcast theme this season is called Brazilians, Brisbane and uh, Resilience. And I think there's probably um, many great examples in your backstory of resilience and great stories of Brisbane. But first, tell us a little bit about Bluebird and, dare I say, how you hatched the business in 2018. Uh, you've come a long way in four years. Yeah, it's been a pretty wild roller coaster, particularly the last even six months having come out of COVID and now more recently having endured the floods. But yeah, so we started the business in 2018, coming up to four years. We're still you know, a relatively small team, but growing. There's nine of us now um, with a few more on the horizon once we get through our current hiring freeze. <laughs> COVID was something that drew a spanner in the works, obviously very early in the piece. But I guess through that experience, we were able to effectively develop a really laser focus to who we are and what we do. And and through that, I guess we've come out you know, guns blazing on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think also coming out this year, there's been a bit of a resource shortage within the property industry and that's where Bluebird has really made its mark. We are an outsourced development management model for property developers and landowners and as this market's got really quite heated, the need to have an outsourced development manager has really come to the fore. So our team has really started to grow and you know we've been riding the wave. And, um, yeah, excited yeah. about what Brisbane is you know, now yeah, for sure. And I think I was really keen to talk to you today about the resilience topic because you're right. I mean, you founded the business in 2018. COVID arrived, you know, right at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020. Things like that can make you or break you as a business. What have you learned from that process? Yeah, I guess the, the benefit that Claire and I have had, so we go back to having worked together at Mervac. So we were there you know, now almost 15 years ago was when we started working on the same day, looking through the petitions at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but through, you know, just in that particular stint over the last you know, 10 or so years, we've been through a number of cycles here locally in southeast Queensland, in particular GFC, the 2011 floods, oversupply of the apartment market where, you know, residential experts. So I guess when COVID hit, it was, it was pretty much, all right, let's, you know, after the week of Claire letting me run around like a headless chook, 
it was literally like roll your sleeves up and let's just you know we know what to do in terms of challenging markets and let's let's get get our hands steady it was something that we yes we have definitely been through before and I think we knew that we would come out of it the other side as in a, in a strong position but it was about riding through the uncertainty during that time helping our clients to sort of remain calm and you know realize that there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel so we as a business really had to consolidate what we were doing and encourage our clients that could hold their nerve to continue building but for those that were just wanting to sit on their hands we just wanted to make sure that we were there in sort of three to six months time when the lights did turn back on that they were ready to go and I think what we we were saying to our clients during that time is the importance to be market ready because Brisbane is cyclical and when it comes back it comes back in full force and that's really what we've seen over the last 12 months is that we were extremely resilient through COVID and Brisbane's actually in southeast Queensland has become a really safe haven for investment, for jobs, for economic growth and now with the announcement of the Olympic Games the next 10 years are looking to be a really opportune time for our beautiful state. I think the sense of it certainly that I get talking to people around town in property is you know there's really nothing stopping Brisbane now. It's all ours for the taking. You made the point that, you know, COVID arrived and probably there were some sort of wobbles on the work front in terms of which projects would go ahead and which wouldn't. But we've kind of got the reverse problem now, haven't we? We've got projects, but finding the people to deliver the projects really is the problem. It's a massive problem, uh, particularly for our construction sector right now. There's a huge skill shortage and gap in resources, particularly on trades. We are finding, yeah, you just, there's just not enough tilers, plasterers, brickies out there to do the work. And that is that is a massive issue for the industry. And at the moment, it's the macroeconomics of supply and demand. There is a huge amount of demand for construction work and building activity and there's just not enough supply of resources and and labour to complete that work. And it's emanating through also, obviously, in the professional space as well. So project managers, engineers, architects, all, all of the professions within the industry are suffering at the moment in terms of just having limited availability of people. This is a bit of a question without notice, but if you had your hand on the levers, whether it's the economy, whether it's immigration, whether it's training of said professionals and, and tradies, What's the answer to the skill shortage in the short term? I think there, there is a big, we do need some more 457 visas to bring people into Australia to fulfil those roles because there's just not enough people locally. But I think what we've really noticed is that usually when the government has really inflated that demand for the construction sector as well with all of those big projects that they're doing right now, there's about a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure projects that are happening, that's schools, hospitals, public transport, and it's all stuff that needs to happen, but that stuff would usually happen in a down cycle, and it's happening when the market is already really overheated by the private sector. So at the moment you've got all cylinders firing between private and state and that's really what's overheating the market and we're coming into this, um, it's a hyper-stimulated market at the moment and that's also been triggered by all of the stimulus that the government's provided. And, you know, we're seeing record low interest rates at the moment, huge levels of migration of people moving up from interstate. And it's all just really contributing to the demand side of things. And if I had one bit of, you know, thing that might change it, um, maybe the government could slow down on some of their spending. While it's good for politics, it's not great for the economy right now. 
and yeah, we just need to reopen our international borders mm. and get more people moving to Queensland and to Australia. And that probably, you know, pushes me fast forward on my list of topics to talk to you about. But when you think about the Olympic horizon, you know, 11 years away, you usually get, what, six or seven to prepare for an Olympics. We've got an extra three or four based on that. It would seem that that stimulus, whether it's psychological or financial, being provided by that event is not going to slow anything down at all. So one would have to wonder how will we meet the additional demands or the additional opportunities, some might say, of the Games given the environment we are in. Now, I know you don't have a magic wand or a crystal ball, but what's your sense of you know, how are we going to make the most of that opportunity? Mm. That's a great question, and it's got. And we are lucky; we do have time on our side. Usually, it's about seven years to prepare for an Olympic Games, so we've got plenty of time to get there and to do it in a sort of a structured and, and um, strategic way. And I think we've seen the examples of plenty of Olympics, you know, Brazil, for example, where it might not have gone particularly well, but then we see other examples of where it has gone well. So we can we can learn from those cities and really try and take the best parts out of it. I think it would be fantastic to see if we could have some sort of legacy in terms of affordable housing out of these games. There's I was going to, going to a, ask you, you a know, full... a lot of people talk about legacy for mm. the games mm. and, you know, do, if you had a wish list for legacy, what would that be? One of the different points that this Olympics, we understand, is, is trying to pursue this time around is the repurposing of a lot of buildings and a lot of infrastructure and a lot of the, um, the stadiums and the likes and the, and the sporting facilities. So unlike previous Olympics where there have been a lot of purpose-built facilities, this time around it's about repurposing existing infrastructure and facilities and then and being able to transform them into something similar down to you know, um, the Com Games down in the Gold Coast where they repurposed the village down there into student accommodation, affordable housing and build-to-rent schemes down there. So I think that would be amazing to see in terms of both from a sustainability perspective and one that's, you know, mm. maximising the opportunities that we've already got here. And I would love to see us learn from the mis- mistakes, in inverted commas, I guess, from the Commonwealth Games. I think that there was a... Everyone knew the, the Com Games was coming, so they all left and everyone that was living on the Gold Coast just disappeared to Bali or wherever they just got out of there. So I, I hope this time Brisbane can really embrace the event and I heard Mark Stockwell describe it that it just needs to be one big party and I think I hope that that can be what we achieve as a city as well is really embrace it go to all the events and yeah just have a big party in our backyard that gets remembered forever and that we can yeah really you know it's quite a unique opportunity here for Brisbane to be a postcard this is going to be a postcard to the world um, for our for our our city Mm -hmm. and we've got an opportunity here to really leverage that drive international tourism drive investment into southeast Queensland and make sure that we leave a great uh, legacy for our kids. And the opportunity really, you know, I guess bringing us back to the property side of things is the population growth that we're experiencing now with people relocating off the back of COVID and a range of other things. But the acceleration in that population growth, we need to use this opportunity to get the infrastructure to 
to make this city livable, keep it livable, because otherwise, where do we end up? That's exactly right. And I think it's really important that that we start looking at how the public-private partnerships will work during this space. I think, yes, the government will continue to do their big infrastructure projects like Cross River Rail, but we need to understand what's the precinct developments that are happening around those areas and how can we really leverage off that infrastructure. And Mm. it's really important for government to partner. The precinct is a perfect example of ample opportunity right there with the main stadium that's proposed for the Olympics. You've got Cross River Rail... And being able to see that density and that precinct transformation will deliver thousands of apartments in that precinct, potentially. So I think bringing on, you know, developments like that earlier, being able to get them established well well in advance of the Olympics, I think that will be a great thing for the city. That's exactly right. And finding the right developers to partner with to help them deliver that vision. And it is that delivery, isn't it? Now, I know that some of your work or a big part of your work is that pre-feasibility and the structuring and the strategy of those developments. Do you think that the right contractual and financial arrangements or structures exist currently to allow for those things to happen? Or can you see an opportunity here to develop new innovative ways for those public and private arrangements to accelerate the delivery as part of this Olympic process? Definitely. I think the build-to-rent sector is really coming out as its own asset class now and is becoming more popular. We do a bit in that space and we're also working with some community housing providers that are actively out there looking to, you know, increase their portfolio. So I think the structures do exist currently. It's really just having that dialogue now with the private sector just to start that happening because it does take a long time Mm. to come to fruition. I have to say the work feels really personal for both of you. So to me, having, you know, observed really from the start of the business, you know, seeing you in action, you've got your fingers on some of the biggest projects, sexiest projects in town, Queen's Wharf, etc., But it really, it feels personal. Tell me a bit about, you know, how you approach your work. Why does it feel like that? Because it is. It is very personal for us. We're very passionate about what we do. I guess when we were leaving our corporate experience, Bluebird was effectively born out of us wanting to do something a little bit differently in the market. We've come from some, you know, very highly regarded companies. So that has set set up a foundation of who we are as as developers in this space, but it's basically transformed into us being able to live and breathe ethics and, you know, and, and our values within our team. We are passionate about leaving legacies, not necessarily the most beautiful projects, but it's the impact that we have on the community, the impact that we have you know, with our clients and with our, with our team. So you know, when we talk about having a, you know, a very personalised business, it emanates throughout the entire business. And all of our business has been relied, we've relied on our relationships, that's with our existing network. So I was really surprised how important that network of people was when we first started the business. Every every job we got was through a referral from a friend. And so it is personal because our clients have become our friends or our friends have become our clients and we like to treat every single project that we work on as if it was our own and that we are personally involved in it. And I think that's the life of a consultant is that you've got to have your client's best interest at heart the whole way through. And, and that's something that we have always, yeah, been really passionate about. Mm. Everything else looks after itself then, doesn't it, if you focus on that? If you get the relationships right, the rest should follow. And 
we're really fortunate in Brisbane. It is quite a small market, so it's it's pretty easy to get to know everyone quite quickly. But it's also not hard for people to pick up the phone and get a referral. Yeah, and I think ultimately it's always about just doing the right thing. So the right thing is not necessarily you know the hard line bottom bottom. It's not always the easy thing, is it, or the best thing for you? I mean, if you if you can do relationships well, and you can do you know community impact well, and you can do design well, you know the financial returns will follow. You know, typically well and truly, you know, better than better than just chasing that 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 dollar value. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and so we are we're a people based business, and that hopefully emanates through our projects, but also through our teams and the culture that we create within our within our organisation as well. So I guess just to to wrap up a bit and to focus on the word resilience in our podcast topic. If you've learned anything in the last three or four years about how to be resilient in business, could you name the top couple of things? So yeah, I've experienced some some ups and downs over the last four years, definitely. So when we started Bluebird, I think, yeah, jumping out of the safety net of a, of a corporate world job into private land was pretty pretty confronting. Um, and then shortly within about six months of starting Bluebird, I fell pregnant with twins, <laughs> uh, which is a bit un- unexpected. And and so, yeah, having a newborn twins early, in, you know, the business was about a year and a half old by that point okay. during COVID. So, yeah, I had four-month-old twins when COVID hit us. So that was super stressful where you're just getting up eight times a night. And so it's, <laughs> yeah, so you've got the business stress, you've got your sleep deprived obviously went through a relationship breakdown as well after that so now I'm a single mum with two kids so that was pretty challenging but killing it yeah absolutely um, killing it and yeah. so I think so like could through... be quite the epitome of resilience in <laughs> fact <laughs> so yeah I feel like life's now starting to get a little bit easier and the boys are two and a half now business is going well so yeah we've heard it's been a bit of a few hard knocks along the way but the one thing I've learned over the last four years is that life is hard uh, yeah. nothing comes easy everything requires hard work and perseverance and if you you stick to your guns and surround yourself with good people you can make your way through Mm. it I think I you know it was over at Claire's place on Saturday night having a cheeky drink and you know we were like we were having a bit of a reflection moment of where we've taken the business over the last few years particularly in the last couple early on in the piece it was let's just do whatever we can get our hands on and in the last you know 12-18 months we've really taken a bit of a laser focus to you know sticking to our lane that has been hard in terms of just making sure you know if we say sticking to our lane we are residential built form development experts and we try not to venture too far from that you know we we do have a few projects that are non-res but typically for well-established clients but by being able to kind of put your blinkers on it's it's meant that we've had to say no to opportunities which has been you know, a little bit confronting in sometimes what can be an up and down bit of a challenging market, but being able to, I guess, push through and now being able to see the, the fruit from our efforts and, and the clients that we're attracting and the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think on Saturday night we were sitting back having a wine and it was it was quite nice to be able to see how we've travelled over the last 
Well, I think what's impressive when you think that you started a business, you know, a nanosecond before a pandemic, given all of the personal developments going on for both of you, you know, with children and we all have a life outside of work and you're still happy to have a wine together on a Saturday night, then that says something about <laughs> the strength of the relationship. We also go on holiday together. So we spend, well, it was intended to be three weeks on holidays together in January. We do spend a lot of time yeah, together, yeah. But that's week. good because we have our favourite topic is Bluebird and so we can talk and about it And that makes for good business planning sessions, yeah. I guess. No, fair enough, fair enough. And so last year, just, I guess to finish off, you you know, you nailed the, the 20 under 40 in the Courier Mail, which is impressive. I mean, I'm impressed that you're under 40 still, which is outstanding. <laughs> but to make that list, um, what's next? Yeah, so we've got yeah a, a really lovely pipeline of work that we're focusing on. We had we had a phenomenal level of growth over the last 12 months. So I think, you know, as a, we were looking at the numbers a couple of days ago, but you know, we're almost three times our, our gross revenue that we had in the year prior. So, and that's, you know, kind of coming up to the, to the year end, financial year end at the moment. So I guess, you know, it was almost October, November, we were starting to feel some, some pretty serious pressure in the business before, you know. So the next, I guess, six to 12 months, a lot of it is about making sure that that foundation is really solid. It's not growth for growth's sake. You know, we want to be here for the long term and still have really quality offerings for our clients. So it's been about, you know, inwardly looking, um, making sure sure all of our team are, are, you know, are performing well, that our clients are satisfied, that our projects are succeeding. Obviously, we're aiming to continue to grow, particularly in this current, current market conditions, being quite favourable for us. But... Yeah, it's about you know making sure that we're you know, just being even better than we can be in, in this current yeah, space. Yeah, and that it's sustainable growth. I think we yeah, definitely had those growing pains at the end of last year. So we're really just trying to rationalise the team that we do have, keep everyone happy, get all those systems and processes going really well so that our clients get the best possible service from us. Mm. And I think to summarise, I suppose what I've heard along the way today is your secret to resilience probably has, you know, three, four, five points. I mean, one is staying true to your purpose, that business about quality, sticking to your knitting, what is it that you're good at, staying focused on that. The second one is relationships. So between yourselves as the business owners, between your team, but with your clients, if you focus on the people, other things follow. I suppose the the third one is that consolidation, you know, it would be very tempting just to roll on, roll on, roll on as a sort of rapacious beast, given the success that you've had and the reputation that you've built. But going back to your core and consolidating, you know, is in itself a resilience strategy to make sure that you're well set up. And then, you know, finally, none of this comes without hard work. All of those things a hard work and I dare say you know you're what's the saying finding minding and grinding as well yourselves eat you know each and every day so those are the four things that you've told me fifth one mm-hmm. it's also just to have fun like we actually like it is hard work and there is a lot of effort that goes into the day-to-day but we absolutely love what we do and we've got a fantastic team we've got a wonderful client base some amazing projects and so we're you know we're constantly pinching ourselves that we've been able to create this environment where we love getting out of bed every day so and I think number six surround yourself with positive people there's a lot of negative energy out there and there's a lot of people that um, sort of enjoy the drama we try and be a bit like Teflon every now and again and just try and you know 
protrude um, positivity because life is hard. Things, you know, do hit you sideways sometimes. But as long as you've got a positive attitude, you can get through anything. I'm with you on that front. Claire, Rhea, thank you very much for your time today and what a great discussion. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. The Shovel is a podcast for Property Leaders Brisbane and is kindly recorded and produced by BBS Communications Group. If you've enjoyed The Shovel, please subscribe, review and share to help spread the word. Music